Good evening and welcome to The Journey Church. It's my pleasure to welcome you tonight. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. We have been studying the flesh and the spirit now for some time, and we're about halfway through our study uh, here in Galatians chapter 5, and it's, it's proven uh, most illuminating to say the least. Um, but I hope at the same time that that illumination has brought quite a bit of encouragement and motivation. Tonight we're finishing up uh, the last uh, four of eight sins dealing with the flesh. And if you'll join me in Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, that you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are, no, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, um, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. In this study, we're going to conclude our survey on the works of the flesh. We've characterized the last two weeks, and this would be now the third one, on infractions of the law of love. Infractions of the law of love. As listed here in verses 19 through 21, there are eight in number, they, these infractions specifically hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, and envy. We have already considered four of these eight. We looked at hatred two weeks ago. Ekthra, it's hostility that one may have uh, for another that they harbor in their heart. It's an inward hostility. You may not see it there, but it's, it's very much there, ekthra. Then we studied contentions, which is the word eris, which is the strife and quarreling that results from the ekra, that results from the hostility within. So one is inward, the latter is outward, an expression of the inward. Then last week we studied jealousies, which is the word zealos, it's envy which casts a grudging look. It's like, hmm, a grudging look. And then we studied um, the word thonos, phthonos, P-H-T-H-O-N-O-S. It's a mouthful. I probably have not said it correctly, but it is properly the word translated envy. And it, it has arrived at a hostile deed. It's where it expresses itself to the detriment of someone else. So hatred, contentions, jealousy, and envy we have studied. So that, 
that leaves us outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies, and we're going to cover all of that tonight. And so I want you to understand something as we consider these. As we look at these remaining four, we're also going to summarize why all of these eight sins that we've now studied after tonight for three weeks are properly included in a list of sins that is so heinous that it would include fornication, idolatry, and sorcery. So you want to pay careful attention as to why these sins are in the same list and are to be considered just as heinous. So let's take a closer look, and we'll start with the four remaining infractions of the law of love. Notice the text says, outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger, or wrath. That's the Greek word thumos, T-H-U-M-O-S, thumos. This word describes the blaze of temper which flares into violent word or deed. Um, this is uh, an explosion of a, a genuine outburst, a, a loss of control. This is an unstable, unstable behavior. It is an uncontrolled temper, explosive temper that is uncontrolled. And it is not to be confused with righteous indignation, which is the proper and controlled use of anger. It is a righteous indignation, for example, that you see uh, demonstrated with God in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Romans chapter 2, 4 through 11, you see a picture of God's righteous indignation. And then anger, which is properly checked and not allowed to produce an occasion for sin, that is that is also righteous indignation, and I'd like to look at that. That would be Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. If you'd like to join me there. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So Thumos will give a place to the devil, whereas righteous indignation will not. Some try to excuse their explosive anger or their explosive temper as simply hereditary. I've, I've certainly uh, tried to play that card. I call it the Irish card uh, that my family might share with you and my close friends that, that I have uh, uh, said often, I have an Irish temper. The truth is I have a sinful nature. and. Uh, my Irish temper has nothing to do with that. Um, it's, but we'll say it, that's just the way that I am. I'm, I'm just a fiery Irishman or I'm a hot Italian. Uh, it's just human nature. But Christians, no matter what their nature, are blessed to become partakers of the divine nature. That's what Jesus has done for us. And we therefore must put away these things of our Irish nature or our hot Italian nature or our human nature. Let's do a little work on that for a moment. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, and then we'll go back to Ephesians. 2 Peter chapter 1, it says in verses 3 through 4, um, <clears throat> 
as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Look over here uh, in Colossians. Go back to Colossians to the right, or excuse me, to the left. It's right after uh, Philippians, which is right after Hebrews. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. It says, Now you yourself, but now you yourselves are put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And then finally look with me in Ephesians 4. Just pass Philippians to the left and go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, Thumos is a uh, uh, not not a good thing. This is an outburst of anger. It is the loss of self-control. It is but not based upon our hereditary nature. It's based upon our sinful nature. And it's something we're told over and over again to put off. And so just agree with me that that is, that is the challenge that many of us face. And it is a worthy challenge that uh, we will overcome through the word of the testimony and the power of Christ within us. The second word that we're going to study today of these last four words is selfish ambitions or disputes and strife. It's erythea. Erythea. Um, E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. Uh, selfish ambitions, disputes, or strifes. This word describes, now listen, this word describes a self-centered a self-centered attitude in, do, in the doing of any work. So it is, it's certainly not altruistic. It's, it's completely selfish, and more than that, it is selfishness based on self-centeredness. Uh, for example, uh, working solely for money, uh, seeking and holding political office purely for personal interest and ambition. Uh, doing the work of the Lord out of a desire for recognition or personal ambition or rivalry or for the, accla for the acclamation of people or for the accumulation of stuff. Um, erythea is, is a, a word that is a word all of us ministers should know because sometimes, it, it, at least if I'm honest with myself, in the Lord and you, sometimes it seems like I'm, I'm more in love with the ministry than the one who gave me the ministry and, and all the trappings that come with it. And the reality of it is we're, we're to put these things off. I, I hope you don't struggle with it, but Paul certainly knew the Ephesians did through the, through the uh, or excuse me, the Galatians did through uh, 
through the inspiration of Scripture. So it's used to describe those who were preaching Christ specifically out of jealousy. You can read that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. And it is this word which describes those who create party divisions in the church. So if, if you have ever been involved with uh, disputes in the church that have wound up dividing people, um, even to the point of some, you know, that have, have felt the, the way of peace is to leave, um, then, then you have experienced uh, this, this word erethea for sure. Um, they're acting out of vainglory and a desire to be first um, rather than out of a true desire to stand for the truth and to be last and to serve one another. So I want you to look with me at, at what is known as the kenosis. When I was in seminary, the very first passage I had to um, interpret for a grade is the passage I'm having you turn to now. Um, I'll never forget it because it means so much, and I'm grateful to the Lord that, that this was the passage that, that I was assigned. It's called the great kenosis, the self-emptying of Jesus. And what you learn in this is the mind of Christ. And so let's look in Philippians chapter 2, beginning, beginning in verse 3. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Isn't that amazing? So this is the, so if you want to write in your Bible where it talks about selfish ambitions, you can write out there a, a mathematical expression of an equal sign with a line through it, which means not equal equal sign with a line through it, not equal, and write out Philippians 2, 3 through 5, right there at Galatians chapter 5, over this word, um, selfish ambitions, dispute or strife, however your, your Bible translates it. The third word we want to look at, having, having discussed so far two of the four, is dissensions. Dissensions. That word also means sedition, sedition. Uh, that, that's a term that, uh, that, that's a term that in a time of war will, will get you in front of a uh, firing squad or on a hangman's gallows uh, for, for practicing sedition. This word is uh, dikostasia, dikostasia or dikostasia. <clears throat> it literally means, now, now get this, it means a standing apart, a standing apart. It describes a condition where all fellowship, all togetherness are gone. Uh, when when um, you encounter people in, in social clubs or uh, the business environment, the work environment, or even church or even in a family, <clears throat> there are those who stand apart. Um, they, they, uh, <clears throat> they, they literally stand apart. They're not part of the group. 
Um, and it describes a condition where all the fellowship and all the togetherness is gone. So this isn't just being introverted. Uh, there's something more sinister that's taking place here. This was the condition of the church at Corinth. For example, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, let me show it to you. <clears throat> Pardon my voice cracking. Um, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul taught that we should mark those who cause such divisiveness in Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offense contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. What, what would you do if, if you knew Christian brothers and sisters or even pastors and ministers that kept a little black book in accordance with Romans 16, 17, that would, that would be uh, somewhat <laughs> um, disconcerting to know. And then what would even be worse is the thought that you or I might be in it. Um, you're going to see in a moment why the Apostle Paul is teaching about these being infractions of the law of love. We're, that we as the body of Christ are to mark those who cause division, who cause dissension. We're to mark those who, who are not in fellowship and who are all together not together with the body. Um, there is a reason why. We'll see this in a moment. But reason or not, the Scripture says it's commanded and thus it's to be done, and it is a behavior that is right and holy and just uh, according to the Word of God. I, I wouldn't walk around with a banner saying I do it or, or uh, show the book or anything like that. I, would, I, don't, I don't think that would aid to the fellowship. Uh, such dividedness may be due to, for example, I've, I've got mm, about six things here that would cause this division. Uh, one is a personal division where two people refuse to speak to each other. Uh, another one is where you have a class division. Uh, you have class warfare between rich and poor. Um, there's party divisions where devotion to a party rises above devotion to principle. I uh, read an interesting quote yesterday where a person was asked if he's a Christian. And uh, he said, I'm a, a follower of Jesus. And the person responded, are you a Republican? Is your Jesus a Republican Jesus or a Democrat Jesus? And uh, at first it made me laugh, but then it just, it just uh, well... Uh, I, I almost I had a momentary internal outburst of anger, and uh, because there is no such thing, but this is exactly the picture of what causes division when you put party above principle. And uh, you know, regardless of our political affiliations, which I think are very important, um, you know, I try to help folks that, that know me as a person. I'm a Christocrat. 
Um, I'm, I'm for Jesus. I'm a citizen of His kingdom and uh, by the grace of God. And it is His kingdom that I long to build. And I'm grateful that I live in the country I live in, that I'm free. And I cannot tell you how proud I am to be a Texan uh, as well. But uh, the greatest thing on earth is, is that uh, in heaven and earth is He's given me an adoption whereby I, would, I can claim Him as my Father. And that, that is the principle by which to live. The, the Scripture says that He gives the desires of he, he, to those who honor Him, He gives to them the desires of their heart. And uh, I think that's kind of a life verse for, uh, for me and I hope for others because in the end, it's all about Him. As it says in, in Romans 16, for from Him and to Him and through Him are all things according to Christ Jesus. Racial division. Um, the, isn't that a... Isn't that an interesting subject we find ourselves in in the 21st century? Racial division, all the good that was accomplished in the 20th century seems to have been erased in just the last few years in a matter of months. Racial division, uh, Jew or Greek, Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, white and black, brown and yellow. It's, it's shameful. Then here's one that is more common uh, in, in, in the trade that I practice, that is theological division. Theological division is misusing labels and fixing them unfairly on other people. Why, that fellow's a this, he's a ist, and that person follows ism, and he's a iminium, and all these kind of things. And, and we put these labels on people. And then there's ecclesiastical divisions. Ecclesiastical divisions are church divisions in the form of denominationalism. I completely understand the wisdom of having a denomination. I, I used to belong to one very proudly. I, I as a non-denominational minister, it's, it's very, I don't have the same safeguards that I had when I belonged in a denomination. But... Um, uh, there, there's a lot more that can be said about that uh, at another time. Uh, but, you know, there is one Christ, and that is, I, I hope, whom all those that believe, regardless of their denominations, they follow according to the Scripture. So you have personal division, class division, party division, racial division, theological division, ecclesiastical division. I'm quite sure that you could throw in their sports team division, apparel division, um, you know, uh, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, however you want to do it. You could find any amount of division. It seems like there are, there are folks who've made a profession today out of being critical and, and looking for what's wrong. And I've always maintained that it doesn't take any, any amount of intellect or, uh, or uh, IQ to be a critical person. Uh, eat the meat and spit out the bones. You know, look for the best in everything, and if you can use it and it lines up with Scripture, then by all means use it. This sin, however, is committed. This sin of dissension or sedition is committed <clears throat> when we confuse prejudice with principle or preference with principle unreasonable stubbornness with unwavering 
resolution. Um, I started the ministry in school when um, began my training when you had what were known in the 90s as worship wars. Uh, when everything you read in the newspaper of the denomination I was in had something to do with this newfangled music and people, re people not singing out of hymns and so forth and so on. And, and I learned a good lesson from my wife back then. Just because someone might like to sing a song like Majesty uh, versus How Great Thou Art, it's a matter of preference not a matter of principle. We as the believers of God have every reason to sing to Him of His matchless name. But there are songs today that, and publishing companies today, we cannot sing their music because they simply uh, do not espouse what we would consider biblical Christianity at all. <clears throat> um, but that is not to say that there's music of the same style that is absolutely wonderful. There's a couple out of Northern Ireland that I just am thrilled to listen to. And, and in our church we sing. They do both modern hymns and they do uh, very contemporary music. They're, they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful to listen to. But just because they have a driving beat, it may not be the preference of someone who would prefer to sing without any musical accompaniment. Um, that does not negate the principle of singing unto the Lord. And so I hope that kind of makes sense. If you've, if you've been in the church for 20 years, at least in the visible church, you're probably familiar uh, with, the, uh, with this concept I've spoken of. Heresies, that's the next word, and factions. This word is heresis. Heresis, H-A-I-R-E-S-I-S, -E heresis. The word appears close in meaning to dikostasia, which is dissensions. Heresies and dissensions go together. It's used in the New Testament and most, most commonly denotes the body of people belonging to a particular school of thought or action, such as the sect of the Sadducees in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, or the sect of the Pharisees in Acts chapter 15, verse 5. They were different. Uh, one group believed in the resurrection from the dead. The other group did not. Early Christians were accused of, of being a sect. You can read about it in Acts 24 and Acts 28. Peter used it to describe those who were false teachers who would bring about destructive uh, teachings and divisions in 2 Peter chapter 2. Thus it refers to divisiveness, especially that brought on by false teaching. And I will tell you, in 20 years of ministry, I have known nothing to bring greater division than false teaching. Uh, when people uh, espouse the teaching of, of a man that, that is, is, is masquerading as a minister of light who is clearly abusing the Scripture, and they espouse his teaching, I've... I will tell you, you, you put those people in with orthodox, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, they, will, they will call us close-minded. Uh, they will say we don't use our heart. Uh, they will tell us that we're cold. They will, they will say we're not being fed. They'll give you every reason because they're more dedicated to the teaching than they are to the principle of Scripture. And false teaching brings division. 
It just brings division. It always does. And only later in history did the word come to mean a belief or doctrine which is contrary to orthodoxy of the truth. And so here's a way to, here's a way to spot heresy pretty easy. It's when somebody steps into an error, okay? For example, um, Paul speaks about the baptism of the dead. That is something that I still do not understand. Um, I, I haven't studied it in depth, but if, if, if he, he is not talking literally about taking people out of their coffins and baptizing them. But if we saw somebody say that you cannot go to heaven unless then after you have passed away that you were taken out and baptized, your dead corpses baptized, then that would be taking a truth of Scripture to an extreme. One, that it requires that, that it brings about salvation, and two, it brings about a physical act of, of uh, false obedience. That, that's, a, that's an extreme example, but uh, the reality of it is is that uh, uh, there's, I'm quite sure, uh, I can think of one sect that came off of Christianity that uh, every day, as, as I understand it, they baptize people uh, in the name of the dead. That's a heresy. That is taking a biblical truth to an extreme that leads to error. And it will lead you into, it'll lead you away from biblical faith. So like the sins of hatred, contentions, jealousy, and envy, the four sins of outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies all contribute. Now listen, they all contribute to disrupting the fellowship and unity that should be found in the body of Christ. Okay? That's, that's why they are called the infractions of the law of love. That, and, it, and, and it is, you know, that such is true may help us to appreciate, number two, why these sins are included in the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh, he begins in this passage where he talks about adultery and fornication, lewdness, and idolatry. Now, we studied that several weeks ago. You can go... Uh, look back in our www.yourjourneyonline.com slash messages and find it. But why are these sins included in the works of the flesh? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let me give you an example. It is true that He died to reconcile man back to Himself. He did this. I want you to look in your Bible. It's very important that you go here with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just go to the left, two books. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Let's read verse 17 because some of you know this one by heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are to, of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the words of reconciliation. 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleased, were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God in Him. What a, what a remarkable truth. Can you say amen? Ah, I heard that. Amen. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the very righteousness of God. But He also, He reconciled man back to one body. So go to the right to Ephesians. You hit Galatians and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Notice this. So we've been reconciled back to God, but we've also been reconciled back to the body of Christ into one body. In Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 16, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so as He created Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death the enmity. What a great truth. God has reconciled us back to Himself, and He has reconciled us back to one body through Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. So why these sins are considered sins of the flesh is because they're against the work Jesus did on the cross, and the sins of the flesh are the very things that separate us from God and His body. Okay? And because we're to preserve, not only that, but we're to persevere in reconciliation. Listen to me. We're not only the, there is not only the vertical relationship that we have with God, which we persevere by living holy lives, or we, yeah, we, we, pres we preserve by living a holy life, but, but it's, it's a way of, in, of uh, avoiding moral impurity. Um, but it, this relationship is not only vertical, it's horizontal. Vertical in, with God and man, horizontal with man and man, with man and woman, husband and wife, father and son, so forth and so on. So the idea is that recon the reconciliation we have with one another, which we preserve by maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the body of peace. That's Since you're in Ephesians, look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, which all lowliness, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. So there it is. So see now, if you stand apart, how are you in one body? If you're having outbursts of wrath, how can you be in one body? If you're practicing sedition, how can you be in one body? If, if you're struggling with envy and hatred and jealousy, how can you be in one body? If you're going on and practicing fornication, lewdness, sorcery, and adultery, how can you be in one body? You see how to, all of that affects the horizontal relationship, but also affects the vertical relationship. So therefore, these are the infractions of the law of love. That's why we have spent these three weeks on this. I guess we've put in about three hours on, on Galatians 5, 19 through 21 altogether. Therefore, the infractions of the law of love undo the work of Christ on the cross. 
Now, it doesn't undo the permanency of it, but it does undo the testimony of it. Dare we commit sin of moral impurity to jeopardize our reconciliation to God? Then neither should we violate the law of love and jeopardize our reconciliation with one another. We should not do these things. And they are in direct violation to the will of Christ concerning unity. In the great high priestly prayer, which I believe is which is in John 17, I believe if you read the high priestly prayer of Jesus, you can truly see the heart of God the Father for you. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't say anything He hasn't heard, and, and He's praying this alone, but, it's ama but through the Spirit inspiration, we have it recorded in Scripture. Look at this. John 17. You, you, should, you should truly study this passage. I remember preaching it I need to do it again and do a better job, but this is the heart of God the Father through the prayer of Jesus the Son, praying for His disciples, or actually praying for all believers, down in verse 20, John 17, 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may be one, as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in Us, that the world may believe that You sent Me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may also be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, and they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow. Wow. That they may be perfect. That they may be complete. Well, you're not going to find people walking in completeness and perfection and in oneness when they are struggling with hatred, contentions, jealousies, and envies, and outbursts of wrath, selfish divisions, dissensions, ambitions, and heresies, fornication, lewdness, sorcery, and adultery. You're not going to find, there, there is no way that there can be a oneness when you practice infractions of the law of love. And so therefore we need to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And it's interesting, he goes on, which will be the next part of our study, he talks about, well, now we've told you what the walking in the flesh looks like, let's talk about what walking in the Spirit looks like. And so one last thing before I give you the conclusion is it is a direct violation of Christ concerning unity to practice the infractions of the law of love, but it is also a violation of the command of Paul with regard to division. It's the last place I'll have you turn, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, I just drove right by it. Beginning in verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there is no division among you, that, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that you chose... 
Chloe's household that uh, those of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you. Now I say this that each of you say I am Paul or I am Apollos or I am Cephas or I am Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, put this stuff away. He says, I hear about it. And notice what he does. As an effective pastor, he corrects it. That's, that's just part of it. Now, I'm not saying they liked it. I'm not saying he won any friends, but he's telling them, be of one mind. Be of one judgment. When it is your desire to walk in the flesh, you practice the infractions of the law of love. You will not promote unity in the body. And so therefore, Paul doesn't just tell us what not to do. He tells us what to do, and that's to walk in the Spirit. So the infractions of the law of love are serious offenses, not only because they undo the work of Christ on the cross, but because they, the, the Bible says, now look, I, I mean, I'm going to deal with this exhaustively soon, but look at verse 21 in Galatians 5. He says, I tell you beforehand just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're going to have to study the word practice, but we'll get to it when we get to it. But I'm going to tell you something. These things are so serious that those who practice them will not be saved. It's not that they will lose their salvation. It's that they will never obtain it. They will not be saved. Um... We are not only to avoid these sins ourselves, but those who persistently engage them. We're instructed by Paul again in Romans 16 to separate ourselves. And the reason for avoiding such is found also in Proverbs 23, which says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his way and set, his snare, set that snare upon your soul. That's Proverbs 23, 24, and 25. How much better it would be to develop friendship with Christ, to learn His ways and to develop those qualities that constitute the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Well, we went a little long tonight, more than normal, but we're grateful that you joined us. I'm so glad that you tuned in. Father, I pray for those who have watched and we'll be watching that, Lord, they will be moved by this. They will be encouraged by it. They will understand it comes from one who struggles with these things. It's a, it's a challenge. But, Lord, we know that you don't struggle with them. And the work that you've begun in us, you are going to be faithful to complete. You're going to bring it to completion. And so, Father, teach us not to violate the law of love. Encourage us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Give us a hunger for kindness and gentleness, for long-suffering and patience and gentleness. I pray, Father, that uh, you would bless us as we have endeavored to learn together and that we look forward to being together again soon around your Word. We thank you for these truths that transform. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you and have a great week.